Ellis East Elementary Walkthrough, May 18th. The library. I am standing outside the library. This is it. I am home. The library is slightly narrower than the classrooms on either side of it. The north and south walls are lined with bookshelves going all the way to the ceiling, though the north wall does have the door adjoining the music room in the front corner of the library. As I enter, immediately to my left is Nana's, I mean a large librarian's desk, with two card catalog cabinets behind it. They appear to be full. The carpet is rich red with a gold pattern. The west wall is lined with windows with luxurious curtains mirroring the carpet. In front of the window is a library table with six chairs on each side and six green manager's lamps. The shelves are mostly empty, but there are sporadic books here and there. Mostly children's books, though there are a few adult books and the reference section is full. There are boxes of books on the table and on a few of the chairs. There is a large green velvet wingback chair against the middle shelves on the south wall. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, July 20th, 7 a.m. I'm sitting in my office with T and Elizabeth's remaining letter. Letter dated February 28th, 1927. Dear R, it has been an eventful two months. I am settling in nicely to the library. Carl's new law practice has kept him busy, and Geneva has adjusted to life in Ellis Field rather well, though she does occasionally sulk about the lack of city bustle around here. She is planning to return to Chicago for university in the fall, at which time I will request that you look in on her from time to time. The school is just how I remember it. Warm, welcoming, with a feeling of home, though there are certain afternoons in which it feels as if a cloud has passed over the whole building and chosen to hover there, despite the fact that the sky may be completely clear. With no reason whatsoever, the colors of the building become muted and the air heavy. These afternoons are the worst for my mother and Lucy, who rush around in a state of panic until the warmth and the sunlight returns. While my mother is retired in name, she is still around the school every day. Lucy, on the other hand, has not retired despite being older than my mother. When the subject arises, usually from Mama, Lucy insists they will give me a sign. I am uncertain what this means, but I have given up trying to translate their cryptic shared language. The project of the rooms underneath the basement moves on. They have hired an architect, a friendly young man named Walter, who has led the charge on construction of the downstairs rooms. He has assured us that the rooms will be finished by May. I have still not gotten an answer as to why the rooms are needed, and it concerns me that they have started construction on a second staircase down to these lower rooms, one to bypass the basement, though I am uncertain as to why that would be needed. But that is not the most absurd part of this whole misadventure. They are putting in a swimming pool. I do not know if this was Walter's influence or if that had been part of the plan all along, but the pool is the centerpiece of the sub-basement rooms. Mama and Lucy have encouraged Geneva to write a poem for the dedication of the newly renovated rooms, even though the festivities are three months away. The phrase they used was poetic invocation, 
but I am beginning to make peace with the fact that they have both grown eccentric in their old age. A.G. Plume Commentary I admire Elizabeth's commitment to skepticism. I hope it doesn't come crashing down on her as it did me. Letter continues. Walter has brought his brother Frederick with him. Frederick is Geneva's age and is also finishing his education in Ellis Field. The two of them have built a friendship, which I believe has played a large role in her adjustment to life here. A class of children are at the door. Please write soon. E. A.G. Plume Commentary The story of the sub-basement appears to be coming together. If we could only find that other staircase. Skipping the basement certainly has strategic value. All I'm saying is the universe gave you a swimming pool. You should not give that up. Counterpoint. Ball pit. I see your reasoning. That certainly sounds fun, but I really think you should take advantage of having a pool. Ball pit. Aren't those all really gross? This isn't a publicly available ball pit. It will be fine. Plus, I'm more concerned about the fact that the pool is located under the murder basement. Like, that's a recipe for a drowning. Not to mention what it could do with chlorine. A.G., if the basement wants to kill someone, it will find a way. It will create a tsunami of plastic balls. I'll take my chances with a pool of water. Wait, do you think the sub-basement is part of Algernon's domain? Like, how does that work? I don't know. I got the rundown from Elizabeth's letters about the place, and she seems to talk about a way down there that bypasses the basement, but I haven't been able to find it. Until then, we don't go down there at night, we don't go down there alone, and we don't reattach the trapdoor. Yeah, I meant to ask about that. Any reason you're keeping that on the stage? I don't want to give him anything to throw at us. Yes, but are you sure there is no chance it, like, has basement on it? Basement energy? Like, how do we know it's not basement-y, I mean... When I put it upstairs, I asked if it was okay and found yes, and door is safe, spelled out on the Scrabble board on the coffee table a few minutes later. So I think we're good. I don't know whether to be charmed or unsettled with the school's attempts at communicating with us. Honestly, the Scrabble is preferable to the PA and definitely better than seeing my doppelganger. Hey, didn't didn't you find a planchet from a Ouija board right after you moved in? Yes, But that's a bridge too far, especially with Mr. Basement. Mr. Basement makes him sound like a terrifying internet meme. But what is Algernon, really? I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but there's the possibility he's a literal ghost. Or there is the possibility that whatever made the school able to be what it is also picked up on the pain and anger of his death. Like... The guy had some ends-justify-the-means issues and seemed like a jerk in general, but he's also a murder victim. A murder victim who then killed someone himself. If he's a ghost. It's much more complicated if it's option two. School! School! Sophia! Whoever you are! 
Uh, if you want to explain what's happening, I'll add the Bananagram tiles to the Scrabble. G give you more to work with. Good luck with that. I don't know that we're going to get an answer to that anytime soon. Good evening, Ellis Field. It is time for your community bulletin. In celebration of the 20th anniversary of the Ellis Field School, you are cordially invited to the dedication of the new annex this Friday evening at 7 p.m. The date is Tuesday, May 17th, 1927. The time is 8.27 p.m. This is Radio Ellis Field. Next up, we have Tradewinds. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, July 20th, 4 p.m. The occasional radio broadcasts are an interesting development. I think we can fairly attribute them to the discovery of the sub-basement, which seems to coincide with memories of the era when Elizabeth Reeve Messinger, her husband Carl, and their daughter Geneva returned to Ellis Field. I am in the library secret room now, and I'm looking around to determine if there are any answers here. I'm knocking on walls to see if there's anything here. Huh, what's this? There appears to be some sort of panel here. Huh. Let's see what's behind the panel. Hmm, that's a lockbox.
Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, July 21st, 10 a.m. Okay, I have gathered up all of the documents that have been found scattered around the school and moved them into the archival room. For the record, the archival room is formerly classroom 3B because it only made sense to put it right next to the library. To review, we've found documents in the following locations. One, assorted papers from the drawer in the basement file cabinet. Note, the AG Plume file is still locked in my office because the archives are a safe place, free from any nightmare fuel. Number two, the files I found in the secret library room, not counting the lockbox, which I will see about opening, but that will also stay in the office in the meantime. Three, yearbooks found in both the library proper and the auxiliary classroom, along with class photos. Four, files found in the cedar chest. Five, several boxes I sorted out of the rooms in the sub-basement earlier this morning. Billy has generously carried them up for me. There are a few more, which he will bring up later. I'd take care of it myself, but I still only have one good arm. I have proper storage for the documents. It's just a matter of sorting and dating them, which is a monumental undertaking. I am going to see about bringing in Mr. Zaffer and maybe even springing Nana Plume from Assisted Living to help me address this. At any rate, everything is in one place, so the work can begin in earnest. At least until the walls open up and spew even more documents. For all I know, this place is insulated with them. Audio Diary of Dr. Anna Georgina Plume, July 21st, 4 p.m. I have finished Elizabeth's letters, but I've found Geneva's journal in this box that Ms. Basil just gave to me, a virtual stranger. I know I've belabored this point, but I don't think Ms. Basil is actually good at her job. Journal entry dated May 7th, 1927, 3 p.m. Ellis Field School Library. I don't hate life in Ellis Field. I know I thought I would, and there is certainly less to do here, but it's not as bad as I thought it would be. I always thought my mom was exaggerating with her stories about the school and the library, but it is even more impressive than she described. I have a key to the school, and I'm allowed to spend as much time here as I like. I've started waking up before sunrise each morning and walking the empty halls of the school when no one else is here. I also love living so close to Grandma and Nana Lucy. They've been busy with the preparations for the school annex and have requested my help planning the opening ceremony. Mom isn't happy with all the time I've been spending in the annex. She keeps muttering about how silly it is to have rooms under the basement, and she's especially irked by the fact that they're putting a pool in there. But the annex is coming together, and Walter and Frederick both seem to appreciate my help. Frederick and I typically spend a couple of hours each day after school getting the annex ready. This week, we're painting the walls. The pool is working, and Frederick and I have taken to swimming every evening after we finish helping Walter. I had worried that my parents wouldn't approve... They seem preoccupied with their work. The theme Nana Lucy gave me for the poem was the heart of a school. The plan for the opening ceremony is to start on the stage and guide the crowd down the new staircase and end with my poem at the pool. It seems like the stage would be a better place for me to give my reading, but both Grandma and Nana Lucy said they wanted to gather the community together around the pool. I need to finish my poem, but I will write more later. A.G. Plume Commentary 
a clue to the second staircase's location. We'll have to check the stage in the morning. What's all this? I don't know. It, it, it seems angry. How do we turn it off? The circuit breaker is... Let me guess. Yep. Basement. And the power is out. But if the power were out, all of this would not be happening. Okay, what do we do? I'll put Roybos in the carrier if you take the dogs to the side yard. Yep. We'll meet at the far swing set and stay outside until morning light. First, I need to get something from the Archive. Is this really a time for the Archive? There's something in this Elizabeth Geneva story that I think might help us. There's a lantern in the emergency kit in the downstairs hall closet. If you could swing by there on the way out and grab it. Got it. Deal. Just be safe. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay, kitty. Did you see anything weird when you were leaving? No, you? There was like someone in my peripheral vision, but they were never there if I looked for them. Male energy, I think. Algernon. I don't know. That wasn't a question. You know something? There's this memory I have. It's been flickering on the edge of my consciousness for a while. It started coming back to me, though. It answers a lot of questions. When I was young, probably second grade, I would stay in the library after school with Nana Bloom. She was sorting books when a man stumbled into the room. Something about him felt wrong, though I couldn't say what it was. Nana must have heard him walk in because she turned around and her face fell. I had never seen her look afraid before. I don't think I'd ever seen an adult look afraid before now that I think about it. It only lasted a fraction of a second, the look of fear, and then she stood up even straighter, adjusted the hem of her skirt, and met his eyes. He approached her, muttering something about, you're one of them, when she tells me to go downstairs, down to the kitchen, and ask them for the keys. Her tone told me not to try to argue, not to ask any questions, so downstairs I went. I just keep trying to remember his face. Do you hear that? Stay here. I'll take a lap and see if anyone is out here. Billy, I don't think he can leave the building. Ellis East Elementary Walkthrough, May 18th. finishing up here, so I might as well go on down, down the back staircase, out of the school, across the field, and onto the playground.
Good evening, Ellis Field. There is a storm brewing. This is a reminder that we can safely gather in the gymnasium of the school if a crisis arises. Principal Lucy Hobbs will ensure the school is open to all who need it. Stay tuned to Radio Ellis Field for further updates as the storm continues. Lavender Evening Fog is a fiction podcast. This episode was written by Victoria Dickman Burnett, direction and script supervision by Ben Baird, produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Federinko, with additional editing by Victoria Dickman Burnett. Executive producers are Ben Baird and Victoria Dickman Burnett. The voice of Anna Georgina Plume is Victoria Dickman Burnett. The voice of Billy is Nick Federinko. The Lavender Evening Fog logo was designed by Allison Dickman, and Ms. Bitey, our carousel opossum, was designed by Matt Lowe. This episode is brought to you by the opening of Another Path. This episode pairs well with sweet taro milk tea. Trade Winds was written by John Macefield, composed by Frederick Keel, conducted by Rosario Borden, with performances by Royal Dadman on vocals and Francis J. Lapitino on harp. Down in Maryland was composed by Harry Ruby and performed by the Hotel Pennsylvania Orchestra under the direction of Vincent Lopez. Both songs are in the public domain and were made available through the Library of Congress's National Jukebox. Stay tuned for a trailer from our friends at the Department of Variants of Somewhere, Ohio, a horror comedy podcast by the creators of the Dead Letter Office of Somewhere, Ohio. Check them out and ponder what it is about Ohio that inspires so many horror podcasts. Hey, is this a drill? Where should I go? We're in asymmetry then. This is worse than I thought. This isn't going to make much sense right now, but this building can move. Keep this receiver on you. If you get stuck or you see something that doesn't make sense, give me a call. The best way to succeed is to submit. Submit to the will of your pinstripe gods. Scarlet, pick up. There's something here. It's huge and... That's what we call a lark. I don't know who it used to be, but that's what it is now. None of this makes any sense. What the hell have you people gotten me into? Nothing here makes sense. Get used to it. Welcome to the Department of Variance Control. Scarlet Jaunt, over and out. The Department of Variants of Somewhere, Ohio is a new sci-fi horror audio drama by Rat Grimes, creator of the Dead Letter Office of Somewhere, Ohio. The Department of Variants is a full-cast serial fiction podcast about a shady governmental group that experiences a containment breach at its main office. One new hire and one mid-level employee from the Bureau of Transnatural Resources, named Jasmine Control and Scarlet Jaunt, are stuck on different floors when a lockdown begins. The two must communicate and get to the bottom of the building however they can. Not all is as it seems in the department, however. Beginning December 7th and airing weekly, listen wherever you get your podcasts or go to somewhereohio.com or patreon.com slash somewhereohio for more information. The department thanks you for your time.